This is episode 329, dated Friday, October 13th, 2023. You are listening to the In Perspective weekly podcast with Bob Branco and Peter Outchul. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 329, dated Friday, October 13th, 2023. Yeah, it's Friday the 13th, I know, but I'm not (laughs) superstitious. To me, it's just another day. With us from Coos Bay, Oregon. I notice, Peter, I'm saying Oregon now instead of Yeah, I'm proud of you. That's awesome. (laughs) How's it going? It's, you know, typical October Oregon weather in Coos Bay, drizzly, dreary, cloudy, but it's not pouring rain. So we, we consider this a good day. All right. Before we continue with our guest, let me thank some people and acknowledge some people. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer. Thank you very much for helping to make our show a quality show based on your editing. I want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place Chatline for posting our programs on Bulletin Board 15 on their service. Thank you for that. I also want to thank the media outlets who air our show when they do. It's much appreciated. Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions. Thank you very much for archiving our programs on my website. Just go to www.brancoevents.com. Arrow down until you get to In Perspective Podcasts. Click on them, and you will see most of our archives programs going back a long way. Merci, Jackie. And let me give a shout-out to a faithful listener, and that would be Beth Roth. Thank you for listening. We appreciate that. Back for a second appearance. We are very pleased to have Audrey Demet. She's a nurse as well as a health care specialist. And she's here to talk about self-care and health care. That seems to be a hot topic across the country, and I'm sure Audrey will shed some light on it a little bit more for us. Audrey, it's a pleasure having you back with us. Thank you for appearing. Thank you, Bob. And can everyone hear me? Yes, we can. We can. All right, great. Well, today I am here to talk about something that I'm really passionate about, and I hope that others will catch the bug a little bit, and maybe it will motivate you to make some changes. And so we'll begin with just a statement, something that I truly believe, and that is, it's a saying that I've heard. I heard it said once, the best health care is self-care. I just want that to sink in for a minute. The best health care is self-care. I believe it. Yes. And, you know, self-care, is. there's a lot of power in self-care. It puts a lot of power into our own hands. And I want to say, too, that self-care is for everyone. You know, it's not just for the the housewife who needs a bubble bath with a candle. No, that's not what we're talking about here. So through self-care, you know, we have the power to nurture our body, our mind and spirit in transformative ways we can unlock and improve our health, both physically and mentally. And I do speak from a point of personal experience. I started my own self-care journey a couple of years ago. And so I'm speaking from that place where I have seen the results. I know what self-care can do for 
our health in general. And I want to share, you know, what I've learned along the way and perhaps inspire others to join this journey. So like Bob said, you know, self-care is more and more important than ever before. I think because of the way we live this modern life, it's so fast paced and, you know, there are a lot of influences on our health and well-being, stress for one thing. Coming off of the pandemic, many of us maybe gained extra weight, saw some new emerging health conditions or concerns. We know that there are higher rates of chronic health conditions among the blind and visually impaired communities specifically. And this is why I like to get this message out, because we as the blind and visually impaired community are at higher risk for all of what we call the lifestyle chronic illnesses. And this can start, you know, front with, it can be overweight or obesity, cardiovascular disease, strokes, diabetes, depression and anxiety, on and on the list goes. And I have a question. Are, if I may, I have a question at this point. I'm sorry to interrupt your presentation. Oh, sure. Why is it that the blind are regarded as having a lot of these uh, chronic ailments. What's the connection between that and blindness? That's intriguing. Yes. Well, or, or it, let, it, let me frame the question a different way a little bit. Why is it that the incidence of these issues that you're talking about, the heart conditions, the all the other ills you're mentioning, higher among the blindness community than than the non-blind community? Mm-hmm. So let's think about that. I have some theories of my own. So this study comes out of the Vision Serve Alliance group who has, I, I think, backed or maybe financed the big, it's called the Big Data Project. And this is a project that is looking state by state at the rates and incidents of chronic health conditions among the blind and visually impaired. And in almost every single state, the rates are twice that or more of than people who are fully sighted. And you ask a good question. Why would that be? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Well, one thought that comes to mind immediately is that we tend to be more sedentary, less active than the non-disabled community because we have fewer outlets to be physically active. And the other issue is that we are under more stress, I think, than the average sighted person because we are discriminated against more regularly. We have to make more of an effort to do things. We have to make more of an effort to do things. So those are the two issues that come to mind immediately. Yes, and you're spot on with that. Is that Peter talking? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are spot yeah. on with that. But it's also it also will have to do with social determinants of health, for instance, because the rate of Education and economic levels are lower among the blind and visually impaired community. Those would be considered social determinants of health. But I believe that it is that we have a lot of access barriers to the same level or equal levels of health care and to the things that keep us healthy. And so physical activity is definitely part of that. Could also be, you know, that healthy eating is a challenge for some because maybe they can't access nutrition labels and really understand what it is they're eating. They're having to buy food on a, on a tight budget. 
And some of it's just not making the right and best choices for ourselves. So we do have to take some responsibility on that. Audrey, I'm one of the issues that, that that struck me in thinking about our presentation today was the whole issue of our connection with the healthcare system. You, you alluded to it before. And one of the issues I find incredibly frustrating is sort of accessing the healthcare system because perhaps they are less aware of our needs. Let's say disability etiquette. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, how best to communicate and then, you know, doing some reading on sort of the healthcare system and sort of interacting with it and doing some consulting work in the area. What I have learned, and I'd be curious to know your reaction to this, is the healthcare system is under a whole bunch of, of stress as it is. Doctors are leaving at record numbers. Nurses are leaving at record numbers. It's just a very stressful place to work. And so mm-hmm. it seems to me that when the two of the, the two groups get together, we tend to accentuate each other's stresses. And I guess my question to you is A, what do you make of that? What I just said? And B, how can we best make it more likely that we can get what we need while not totally stressing out everybody else. (laughs) This is a a high stress, you know, for me, healthcare is just a high stress environment. Right. Whenever we have to interact with the healthcare profession. Sure. Well, what I make of it is you're absolutely right. There are a lot of problems. It's an imperfect system. There are, I've been in healthcare my whole adult career. My family is in healthcare. My son is in healthcare. And, and I know what you're saying. And yes, there are flaws. There are problems. But what I really want to emphasize today is that by taking charge ourselves of our health, you know, we can accomplish some health goals with or without the support of traditional healthcare systems. And if we are proactive and we take it seriously, and intentionally and be mindful about what we're trying to accomplish, then, you know, we can head off a lot of chronic illnesses. You know, I once heard it in nursing school said that 75% of all conditions that people may come into a clinic for are self-limiting and will heal themselves. But you have to have a healthy body to do that, a healthy immune system, healthy nutrition, all of those things, healthy muscles, and so that your body's, you know, operating at an optimal level so that you can accomplish optimal health. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Peter. There are limitations with the healthcare system, and it's all about access barriers. I believe that access to just health information can sometimes prevent us from taking better care of ourselves or, you know, what would be another example in your opinion of maybe the way the healthcare system lets you down? Well, one of the things I I'm supporting someone who's, who's dealing, who's uh, dealing with cancer. And one of the issues that I see her doing on a regular basis is advocating for herself with the health insurance system for business, because treatments that our doctors want to do, the health insurance is saying no. So, you know, mm-hmm. she's spending a lot of time, in it, you know, instead of recovering, you know, mm-hmm. calling uh, this doctor and saying, well, what if you do this approach? Will that help, you know, with the health insurance? You know, she's, she's a very good self-advocate, but what, you know, what a waste of energy, you know, uh, yeah. you know, she's trying, you know, she's trying to recover and, you know, you know cancer people uh, tend mm-hmm. to be a little more tired than the rest of us. 
and have other challenges. And we we shouldn't have to deal with medical insurances. I don't know why they get so fussy. They'll pay for most medicines. Then they'll send you a letter saying, oh, we're not going to pay for this medicine and that medicine. But why? Are these insurance brokers chemistry majors that they're going to decide for themselves which ones they're not going to pay for? No, no. It has everything to do with the contracts that they negotiate with hospitals and healthcare systems, Medicare even. I think you've probably seen in the news that Medicare has agreed to lower the cost of 10 of the most prescribed medications that were overly priced and not affordable to older adults. So that was something that Biden just passed. And so there is some progress in having a say. I mean, we can lobby for these things, but, you know, even doctors don't have as much power as the insurance companies in some of these cases. So I agree that, you know, your friend should have other support systems and, you know, that could maybe help her negotiate that. But that really isn't an issue about blindness because that happens whether you're blind or not. You have well, to negotiate but, but the, with the being blind makes it more complicated, you know, because she's less access to information. Yeah. I agree with you. This, this is not mm-hmm. just a blindness issue, but I think that the disability exacerbates the problem. But I agree with you, though. Your, your point is yeah. well taken. Yeah. Well, let me move on a little bit here, a little further into the self-care concept. So when I talk about self-care, I don't really mean, you know, having a bubble bath and lighting candles and, you know, it's it's more than that. It means taking care of yourself in ways that can promote health and well-being so that you can accomplish what you want and enjoy life. And there are lots of benefits to really embracing this idea of self-care. We can improve our own health. We can prevent diseases. We can stabilize our mood and mental health. We can foster healthy coping skills for other life issues. And basically, we can bring more peace, joy, and balance into our life through daily intentional self-care. So what does that look like? Well, number one, it's intentional. That means you think through what are your needs? What are you lacking? And finding those things that can fill the gaps for you. So it can look different from person to person. It will change according to your needs and your time in life, your stages and phases of life. And self-care should address the whole person. It should be very holistic. It should, you know, it's not, like I said, having an occasional bubble bath. It's other things too. So, and by its very nature, self-care activities can be very relaxing, replenishing, healing, and pleasurable. I mean, when we find the right ones that work for us. So how do you get started on a self-care journey? Well, the first thing, like I said, was identify where it is you're needing some support or help. Is it physical health? Is it emotional health? Is it spiritual health? And then setting SMART goals. We know probably from other contexts about SMART goals. They're specific. They're measurable. There's a time constraint to them. And setting those kinds of goals intentionally are going to put you on a path to accomplish what you're setting out to do. And I think that if if you're going to 
begin a self-care journey that you have to be looking at lots of different modes and methods to accomplish your goals. So being exploring and adventurous about this and starting small and being consistent and then also focusing on sustainable lifestyle changes. So not the big radical things, you know, we don't have to go from being a steak and potatoes person to becoming vegan. And and I'm not saying that's not a good healthcare move, but think doing things in small steps rather than, you know, big overnight changes. So I want to talk about means of self-care that I think we have to be attending to simultaneously, not just kind of pick and choose. Oh, today I'll do this. And maybe tomorrow I'll do that. I really think it takes a holistic, comprehensive approach. So we, and for some of us, this means, you know, big overhauls maybe, but do it in a small step way. So the domains are healthy eating, physical activity, stress management and relaxation, getting restorative sleep, and then social connection. And each one of these domains, there's tons of uh, research that actually shows the benefits of, of, you know, if you can accomplish getting on the right path with all five of these domains, that there's sort of a synergy and interplay between them. And the, the whole is greater than the sum. When you work on all of these together, the result, you know, is greater. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it yeah. does. Yeah. So, I mean, you could say, oh, well, I'm going to work on getting better sleep. Okay. Well, that's great, but it, it's not going to be enough, right? You're, you're going to have to do something in all five of these domains. And truth be told, we can all make improvements in these domains if we're really honest with ourselves. So I think of healthy eating as just a, the cornerstone to healthy living and we have to begin by thinking of food as fuel and medicine for our bodies. And we have to take responsibility. You alone are responsible for eating nutritious food. So we can pause and ask ourselves, how are you feeding your body and is there room for improvement? And that's the beginning. You know, that's the beginning with this one category. Now I'm going to, I, can go into some guidelines if anybody's interested in very specific things about healthy eating. I, I like to go into a little more detail on this one because it applies to all of us. And these are certainly changes we can all do. Audrey, before you do go into that, I, one of the things that worries me when we talk about this is given the fact that many of us blind folks are, tend to be in poverty, you know, lower income than, than, uh, you know, the non-disabled population. And given the fact that Sometimes it's hard for us to, to get out, you know, and get healthy food, right? You know, the, the, the part of the problem that people in poverty have is, you know, there's less healthy food available in the community. You know, there's, what do they call mm-hmm. There's a supermarket. There's a term for this. I'm drawing a blank on, but you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's just fewer. So I clearly, we all need to eat more vegetables and fruits. I mean, that, that's a given, you know, I, you know, we've all heard this stuff, but I guess my question to you is how do you, what what recommendations do you give for people who may not have as much money or as much many resources as you know the average middle class person to sort mm-hmm. of begin to build you know to serve start that process you know well what are your thoughts yeah. about that? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And you're right. It can be costly to eat healthy or, you know, these designer diets where there's lots of specialty products and things like that. But if you strip it all down and you just become aware of the very basic nutrients and and nutrition that you need on a daily basis, I could almost bet you, you would save money eating healthier because junk food costs more soda pop and, you know, some of the other things that may be in our cupboards, that those things are expensive. And you could, you know, you could buy a bag of dried beans for the cost of a Coca-Cola and you're going to get a whole lot more nutrition out of those beans. Do you see what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. The, the, the other side of then, of course, becomes many of us are used to eating dried beans. And, and I'm, I'm not arguing with you in the sense this is good, healthy eating. <laughs> it's just, yeah, we're not used to eating dried beans, you know, and so <laughs> well, then, yeah, then the but this becomes is... how do you cook them in a way that, that makes them edible? Yeah. Well, so it is a learning curve and you do have yep. to teach yourself some things. You have to learn about how, to, how to shop, how to get the most bang for your nutrition buck. So let me just, let me go into this a little bit further. And I think some of this will be self evident. So there's a website called the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, and it comes out of the Food and Drug Administration. And every five years, they sort of analyze the American diet and then make recommendations for improving our eating habits. And so their guidelines are not considered a diet. It's just a framework. And they look at what we're eating and what we're feeding our children. So they're looking across the lifespan at what they believe Americans at different ages need to be eating, shouldn't be eating, and other recommendations. So their whole thing is is based on encouraging better food choices. So you have to learn what are the more nutritious foods? What should I choose this over that? And you have to educate yourself a little bit. So their their greatest findings this past year, their report found two things, found several things that the American diet was too high in added sugar, saturated fat, sodium, and extra calories. So what does this mean? We're eating processed sugar. We're eating a lot of saturated fats or animal fats. So we're probably, we eat more meat than we actually need. And that's, you know, been for years now. Our portion control is very different than other countries. You know, the amount of meat that we need is actually so much less than we think. And then the extra calories is just the big servings and portion sizes. And when you go to a a restaurant and, you know, you could split that meal with somebody, but we don't, we, we eat it, you know, cause it's good. And it's, you know, and, and how do restaurants make foods palatable? They add sugar, salt, all these things that we're already high in, in our diets. So because of this diet, there's a very high prevalence rate of overweight, obesity, diabetes, heart attacks, cardiovascular disease, and keep in mind, it's even higher among cholesterol, high cholesterol. Yep. That would be from the saturated fats. Yeah. And trans fats. That's yeah. So they have some guidelines here. They recommend limiting added sugars to less than 50 grams a day, 
saturated fats to less than 22 grams a day. And see, this probably, it wouldn't mean, this won't mean much to you until you start learning, well, how many grams of sugar are there in my Cheerios? Or how much saturated fat is in that hot dog that I'm going to eat for lunch? It's on the package, right? Well, it is, but if you're blind, you can't see it. But there are other ways. There you go. Right. But there are other ways to do it. And I do it, you know, with getting online and looking things up or even asking Alexa. You can ask Alexa, how much saturated fat is in a hot dog? You know, and it's going to tell you something like, okay, here it says eat less than 22 grams a day. And I'll bet you a hot dog is probably about 30 grams. It's it's already over your whole daily allotment. So we can make better choices. You know, and sometimes we don't want to. We want to eat what we want to eat. It's very personal and we have preferences. And these guidelines take that into account and just say, do your best. You know, look for ways that you can cut these things back. Saturated fats, sodium, sugar, and calories. Calories as in eating too much, the proportion, the portion sizes that we eat. So there's this... I, 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 I know you're not a nutritionist. Uh, you're a nurse, but sort of what are your thoughts about? I know this is individualized and holistic and I, I get all that, but what advice would you give somebody? I am known, for example, as bar food guy. I like bar food, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you know, bar food is not wildly healthy. I get that. <laughs> so what advice might you give somebody who likes the potato skins and the, you know, and the hot dogs and the, you know, all that stuff? What advice would you, would you, would you give to, to get the process started? You know, start small. What kinds of things would you think about encouraging people to do? Well, you know, we can like all those things, but we don't have to be eating them every day. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, trying to cut back is, is a great strategy and telling yourself, well, you know, potato skins that are maybe fried with sour cream and cheese, maybe once, once a month. And then they're special. You know, it's a special treat. If you make, you can make them at home and skinny them up. You can think of ways to, you know, don't do the sour cream or don't do the cheese or don't do the sour cream, butter and cheese because that right there, there's more calories in the butter, sour cream and cheese than there is in the potato. So there are ways to prepare things that we like and we can learn to like them in new ways, but we have to be willing. We have to be willing and you can develop a taste for very healthy food. I want to just say that that can happen too. You know, somebody might say, somebody asked me the other day, well, I just don't like vegetables. How can I get more vegetables into my diet? And I said, well, you can hide them, hide them in things. You know, when you make sauces, grate a carrot in there and that just disintegrates and falls apart and you'll get a carrot worked in, you know, or vegetables with your scrambled eggs in the morning and then, you know, put vegetables on your sandwich. I mean, every chance you can get, I would be, and this is what I do, I guess. I'm putting vegetables in everything just so that I can make sure that I get what they recommend is two and a half cups of vegetables a day. And that's a lot. And if you, if you eat that much vegetable, you're getting tons of fiber, tons of micronutrients and macronutrients and sustaining or, or I guess holding off 
hunger because those vegetables and that fiber stays with you longer. They're not empty calories. They're not going to dissipate quickly, you know, go through your system and boom, be gone. So they can be more satisfying than, let's say, French fries. Oh, but French fries are so good with cheese and bacon and all that good stuff. (laughs) They're making me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey, I'm sorry, Well, let me try going through a few more guidelines and then we'll stop and have more conversation. But I want you to get the idea that this is not a diet and and you can personalize these tips in any way you want and, you know, start, start, like I say, just start somewhere. So number the one rule or one guideline would be eat from all five food groups and eat a variety in each group. So you have, you need all the color, all the textures, whole grains, you know, some people don't even eat from the the fruit and vegetable family. Well, if you're one of those, you need to incorporate that back into your diet for a full, well-rounded diet. Then eat foods as close to their naturally occurring state as possible. And this, this can even get into the question you had about bulk foods and local foods, you know, the eating things out of your own garden you know, those things are, can be even less expensive when you're buying less processed food and packaged foods. That's, those are very expensive items at the grocery store. And they often say, you know, shop from the outer edges of the grocery store and not down the aisles because where's all the processed food down the aisles and packages and boxes. So if you keep with clean eating, you know, the, Fresh fruits and vegetables, buy seasonal, buy the bruised, you know, fruit or whatever. You can, you, there are ways to save money in doing this. But the idea of eating foods as close to their naturally occurring state and then getting more fiber from whole grains, whole fruits, veggies and beans, that sort of thing. We've talked about that. Swapping refined grains for whole grains. So a good swap would be instead of buying processed white rice, try brown rice or quinoa instead of rice altogether. Quinoa is a grain that has lots of fiber and it's higher in protein and has a lower glycemic index. So it doesn't spike blood sugars like rice does. So then another guideline would be choosing lean and plant-based proteins. So this would mean well, for your lean meats, okay, I, I'm not one who says eliminate anything. So all meats are fine, whether it's beef, pork, chicken, salmon, other fish, shrimp, whatever. But make lean choices and check your portion. They say that a portion of a protein, a meat protein, is about the size of a deck of cards. And so most of us can, you know, feel that and you know, know that that is one portion of meat. It's not a steak the size of a dinner plate, you know. And then building in for a couple of days a week, trying just plant-based meals, vegetarian, let's say beans and rice or tofu even on, or eggs, having eggs one day instead of a meat dinner. And then choosing healthy fats over the unhealthy fats. And this begins with learning which, which are which, right? Unhealthy fats are the saturated fats and trans fats and 
like palm seed oil. That's a really bad one. And it's in a lot of processed food. The only fats that I use now are olive oil and canola oil. Very occasionally, I never fry food and I use a mister, one of these food misters to spray my oil in the pan or on my lettuce or my salad just to control how much oil I'm even getting because we just don't need that much. But these are things that, you know, you have to learn to like. And, you know, the payoff is huge if you'll do it over time and be consistent you can learn to eat this way. And then another guideline, and this would be the dairy category, is to choose low-fat dairy, so the skim milk, 1%, 2% at the most maybe. And if you're a non-dairy person, the dairy alternatives are absolutely fine for getting your calcium. They don't have the protein that, that cow's milk does. But you know, you can still get what you need from diet, from dairy alternatives. Okay. What about so, green, what about green tea? There seems to be a debate about that one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some, there's health benefits to green tea. It, uh, it does have caffeine in it. So if you're watching your caffeine, you might want to look at how much caffeine, but it is very healthy for you. There's antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties to lots of different teas, not just green tea. So, yeah, go for it. Drink it. It's, it is good for you. Bob, how are we doing for time? Okay. Well, I was just going to say that you are listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco. He's Peter Rauchel. And today we have Audrey Demet, a nurse and a health care specialist, on with us. And it's time now to invite the community to come in and ask questions of our guests. So what I'm going to do is turn to Steve and find out if he knows of any hands that are raised. Yeah, we've got somebody joining us on the phone from area code 201. New Jersey. All right. And Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Audrey, for all your great information. What's um, your name? I, Lisa. Lisa G. Okay, Lisa. I, I love your call. Thank you. You're in perspective. Can you repeat the... There's so much I could refer to on this, but I would like to say which I didn't know, I was taking green tea when I lived in New Jersey and I was frozen to the bone in the winter, literally to the bone. And I moved to Florida and I started mm-hmm. drinking ginger ginger tea and I got really hot. So I found out you're supposed to drink ginger in the winter and green tea in, in the summer because ginger warms the body and green tea cools it. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Freezing my body and not knowing why I was so cold um, <laughs> when I lived up in New Jersey. So now I'm back. Uh, and taken. But I would like to know if you could go over the amounts of the saturated fat, sugar, sodium again, please. Yes. Yes, I can do that. Thank you. All right. Let me come back to that slide. Thank you. There's so much I could talk about here. I've really changed up my diet over the years, and it's not easy. And it's the emotional eating mm-hmm. that really takes me out of the game. If I get into that, if I'm not, but I find out when I exercise more, I don't need the emotional eating, which is interesting. That's true. Yeah. 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 Because exercise can kind of stabilize moods and help you to cope better. You know, that's, that's this interaction, that mind body interaction between all of these domains. So the guidelines from the Food and Drug Administration are to keep added sugars less than 50 grams a day, saturated 50. fat. 
50 grams. Okay, and then saturated fat to less than 22 grams a day, and then sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day. And boy, when you start reading food labels, you'll see, yeah, I mean, just where all this sodium comes from in our diet, where the sugar comes from in our diet. And when you start to make note of this, then you can ask yourself, okay, is this something that I, w- I can swap out for something else? And I'll give you an example. The little packets of instant oatmeal are, can, some of them can be very high in added sugars, but there are some really nice, healthier options now with lower sugar. So just cut it out wherever you can. I have learned to, uh, uh, quick oats aren't so good. I know steel cut oats are better, but sometimes I am not in a position. I'll bring it to travel and quick oats, and then I'll just throw some fruit in it. So uh, even if it's frozen blueberries, organic blueberries, at least I have something mm-hmm. to put in there. I don't care if I, you know, and I'll wait for them to melt or leave them out a little bit. But I also have a nickel allergy. Is the government doing anything to lower the amount of heavy metals in our bodies, like nickel? Nickel in food, I'm talking about. There's a lot of nickel in spinach and almonds. That used to be the mainstay in my diet, and now I can't have those. Is there any discussion or talk within the government about, you know, because I know in Italy, I was in Italy and they told me, I couldn't believe it. They said, no, they're very conscious about not giving children anything with high nickel in it. They're very concerned about because they know about nickel allergies in Italy, which I was surprised to find out. You know, I've never heard of heavy metals. I mean, I I guess it's getting in there by the processing of the food. Like how does spinach get nickel in it? Well, it's in everything. It's in the environment. You know, it's just in a lot uh-huh. of things, but it also is in the food. Is it, uh, it depends on the soil. Um, oh, it's yeah. a lot. In, I know spinach and almonds are really high in it and other leafy okay. greens, which is kind of a challenge. <laughs> right. And I'm not that. sure how you would get the nickel out of the soil. Like that could be a huge undertaking. But yeah, awareness is everything. I, I've not heard much on this. So thank you for sharing that. I do have a granddaughter who is allergic to food dyes, the red dye. You know, everything's got food dye in it. Oh, yeah. And and it's been very discouraging for us to see that they're not taking these dyes out of food where, like they are in other countries. We're really lagging. California did just make a ban, I think, on red dye number 40, which is one of the worst ones. It's, it's known it's to be carcinogenic. Wow. Yeah, it, it's known to be carcinogenic and yet our country is not taking it out of our food. In fact, this is so you, ironic. Our, our granddaughter who's allergic to it, Red dye number 40 is even in medications like children's Tylenol and her antibiotic that she needed to have. We couldn't find an antibiotic that didn't have red dye number 40. So it's crazy. Why is it in there? Oh, I guess just to make it pretty, to make it pink so that the kids (sighs) will take it, you know? Yes, to make it possible. This way they want it. They want the sweets with the red coloring and the blue coloring. Yeah. Yeah, it's just to make it more palatable. You know, I, I don't want to get too political about this, but what does it say about our country where the Europeans seem to get some of the stuff and we are lagging behind? And then mm-hmm. you wonder why our life expectancy is, is lower than mm-hmm. uh, the, the rest of the world. You know, the rest of the, you know, first mm-hmm. world or whatever you want to call it. It is sort of a striking thing to, to think about, it seems to me. It, it really is. And, you know, look what's happening. I mean, I don't want to get political either, but, you know, our, our politicians are very distracted with other 
useless things, I think, and not really, you know, paying close attention to things that we would consider more important to our quality of life. You know, Amen. Yeah. We'll leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Another hour. Yeah. <laughs> or longer. Lisa, um, thank you very much for your contribution. We appreciate it. Steve, do we have any other hands raised? Yeah, I got a couple. Next up is Connie Bateman. Okay. Hello. Can hey, you hear me? Uh, hello. Yeah. I, I am pre-diabetic and my A1C keeps fluctuating. Um, you know, it was like six, two years ago. Then it was 5.8 or something last year. And now it's back up to six, you know, and my husband passed away. So I, I, I've done a lot of comfort eating, I guess you call it, but Sorry I spoke for your loss. Thank you so much. So I spoke with a health educator at Kaiser and she mentioned all those factors that contribute to, you know, lower, lowering blood sugar levels, like enough sleep, eating well, eating healthy foods, being physically active and, and getting enough and minimizing stress. But it's interesting. I don't remember her mentioning the social connection, but that is important. My challenge is I hate to cook. Mm. It's not that I can't do it. I just don't like it. It's just not my thing. I, you know, I'm, I had low vision before and I didn't mm-hmm. like it then. And now I'm totally blind and I, I like it even less. So what, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to eat healthier, but hates to cook? Well, you know, you can really simplify and simplify and streamline your cooking and your meals. It, there was a research study once that, that determined that most people eat maybe 20 to 30 different kinds of foods. And then we just cycle them around and combine them in different ways. But we, we basically eat around 20 to 30 different foods. We don't eat a large variety. Mm-hmm. So if you think about breakfast and, you know, it's important to get number one, a protein and then a grain and then a fruit. There's not much cooking really. If you maybe eat yogurt with fruit and a piece of toast, right? I mean, it can be done. And lunch for my lunches, I steam a bag of vegetables or I make myself a salad. And then dinner, we, my husband and I generally will eat Usually it's kind of a skillet meal. It's it's a piece of meat, a baked potato, and then veggies, you know, and steaming veggies. That's not hard in the microwave, right? Right. Um, so you can learn some very simple food prep and food ideas. There's tools like the Instant Pot and air fryers that can be very quick and easy also that, mm-hmm. that makes your cooking very streamlined. Mm-hmm. And, and I would look at those kinds of recipes. There's also, a, there's a recipe book I, I actually had gotten for my kids and it was called five ingredient recipes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very simple. And then another, another easy way to cook for yourself, I think, is to throw things in the crock pot, you know, to make a pot of vegetable soup in the crock pot and you'd have that mm-hmm. for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, my friend gave me one of these egg things that you can, you can put in the microwave. Mm-hmm. And so this morning I, I threw a couple of eggs into it and then threw some spinach and some mushrooms and some feta mm-hmm. cheese because I'm dairy sensitive. That's, and that's cause lovely. I'm, yeah. Cause I'm supposed to be, have less carbs. So uh-huh. that has, and then I just, you know, put the top on and threw it in the microwave for a couple of minutes and there you go. It was like a, 
kind of a little microwave. Yeah. 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 There's so many microwave tools and, and some of these other, you know, like Instapot and that sort of thing. I know it's hard when you're, if you're alone and you're only cooking for yourself. Yeah. It's just the motivation's not there, but. Yeah. yeah, but you know, you can find that motivation by saying to yourself, this is how I can be kind to myself. This is my, mm-hmm. I deserve a healthy meal tonight. I, I mm-hmm. deserve a nutritious meal and I'm going to, you know, balance this meal. I'm going to create this plate and, and be mindful as I eat it and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, you're right. I need to change my mindset. In that but, way. but one of the things that interests me about this whole conversation, and I'm not much of a cook either. As I, I cook very little, but listening to the stuff about the things that are possible using the microwave and using these, you know, these, these gadgets, I think we need to do a better job of, of making this information available to a wider audience. Cause I think a lot of us just aren't aware of it. I Absolutely. And I'm, I've actually been talking to vision rehab therapists about building this into the curriculum of students, blind and visually impaired students who, you know, these are life skills. This is, this is really essential information to keep ourselves healthy and live mm-hmm. a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. only touched the, the, the tip of the iceberg here talking about healthy eating, but it, you know, there are lots of things that we can all learn in each of those domains. Mm-hmm. And I really like the approach with the the guidelines from the FDA that it's not a prescribed diet. It's not a do this, do that. It's look at what you like to eat. How can you better prepare those foods with less fats? How how can you purchase better quality food and stretch your your food dollar? And in fact there's a there's a a tip sheet online, I think through the FDA and a lot of this also for diabetics because the diabetic way of eating is actually healthy for everyone. And so there's a lot of tips there too. If you were to go online, there's one about how to stretch your grocery money and get the best quality foods. So, and then there's also one about how to prepare foods in the healthiest ways. So there's lots of tips and tricks. For this. The and funny thing is, the funny thing is, I'll be attending a pre-diabetes class through Kaiser on Zoom the week of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I want, since you've brought that up, I want to recommend something else to you. And maybe I should have started with my own little story about all this. But d- during COVID, I was diagnosed pre-diabetic and I was flipped out about that. I just said, Oh heck no, I am not going to be diabetic. I know all too well what that disease does to a body. And I just said, I'm not going to be diabetic. So I got online and I learned about the national diabetes prevention program. It's called oh. the NDPP. It is through the CDC. And if you just look up national diabetes prevention program, on the CDC website, you can find a class near you. And the class is a one-year commitment. And you have a cohort of people that will go through that with you for one year. You'll make goals. You'll learn a ton of things. And I signed up for that. And when I signed up for that class, I was pre-diabetic. I had high blood pressure. I was obese. I had high cholesterol. What else? I had all these markers, right? That were, is a bad, bad path to go down. 
And I worked that program for a year and it wasn't easy. I had to be very focused and a lot of the way that the class worked, not everything was adapted. So I would have to go online and find some of my own pieces of information that were accessible. But in the end, I'm, I'm proud to say I lost 48 pounds. I am no wow. longer pre-diabetic. I that's no great. longer have high blood pressure. I no that's, longer have high cholesterol. Yeah. It was. It was. And you know, the thing is, is everybody can do it. And that program is for, can be, you can be successful at that. The program is free and it is for people who are at risk for diabetes. So either by family history or a diagnosis of pre-diabetes mm-hmm. and you can, you could get into that program and it was all and on also, Zoom. May I? Oh, it's on Zoom. Okay. Yeah. It was all on Zoom. And the first few months we met once a week and then it tapered down to every two weeks and then once a month. And by the end of the program, after a year, we were saying goodbye and going our separate ways, but it was a huge success for me. And it really had to do with, I think the information and learning to think differently about this about health in general. So what was it called again? The National Diabetes Prevention Program. And it's okay, on I'm going to look that up because the Kaiser class is only two hours long. And like I one, like a one-time thing. Yeah. And knowing myself, I need something more. I need something mm-hmm. longer. It's mm-hmm. a big commitment, but. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, take, take in everything you can, but I would look into that program. They start classes, uh, different groups throughout the year. So it's kind of okay. on a cycle and you can jump in on one when a new one starts and then you, you're committed, you, you commit to it for a year. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Connie. I believe we have another hand raised, correct, Steve? Yeah, we've got two more actually. Next up is New Mexico Beth. New Mexico Beth. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Hello there, Audrey. Hi. I am. Um... I do try and eat right, but I too am one person most of the time because my, my kid's father doesn't, uh, he's always working and stuff, but I don't mind cooking, but I don't, oh, I don't know. I don't like to, there's certain things I don't like to cook, like, like white rice. If I eat white rice, I have to doctor it up with something I can't the way it tastes plain like that and soy products I don't mind tofu but I don't really like like soybeans and yeah well that's okay yeah that's okay you don't you don't have to eat what you don't like there are plenty alternatives (laughs) right no and I mean how can you maybe doctor them up so that you might like yeah, we'll not dock them up with, with, with things that we're used to eating, like cheese and butter and stuff uh-huh. that, that sort of like, that, the whole like she of said the, earlier, of the, of the, you know, pushing a carrot into a sauce. That was a good example. Yeah, by that's the way, true. Audrey. That is yeah. true. And then, yeah, like so, you were talking about social uh, connections, I see people at church and stuff, but like if you go to the senior center over here, there's only a few blind people to go and, and sometimes a lot of the other seniors will talk to you. And I don't know why. I don't I don't know if it's that they feel intimidated by blindness or what the deal is on that. I'm mm-hmm. nothing to be scared of. Right. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, we could talk about myths and stereotypes about blindness and people's reactions to the blind. And um, oh, I understand that. Yeah, I, I think people are just uncomfortable, you know, and 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 they don't give us a chance. And so I find socially that I have to kind of put myself out there, be the first one to talk, you know. And I, yeah, so I you do know, that too sometimes. Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing to do. And when we talk about social connection, you know, being a part of groups and having people to talk to that are in your community or being involved in your community, the the best things when it comes to social connection is reciprocity. So, you know, it's those relationships where you can actually collaborate, cooperate and do things with other people and for other people. You, that's where they find the health benefits are the strongest is when we are volunteering or getting involved in things and projects with our neighbors and communities where we're mm-hmm. actually needed and everyone is a part of the, the whole. Beth, thank you very much. We have two minutes. Thank you. So uh, let's see who we have next in line. Okay. Actually got two more raised hands. Next is Leonard. Leonard. Yes. Welcome, Leonard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had, a, had to un, unmute. In regard to uh, veggie burgers and other meats that are made out of uh, plant plant protein, they are. My question is, how good are they? Because they're plant based, but they're also highly processed. Yes, and I'm not a fan of them, actually, Leonard. I think there's a lot of other things that you could eat instead of a veggie burger that would. You know, if you're vegetarian and you're looking for ways to not eat meat, sometimes resulting to those because it's a quick meal is okay. They also have a lot of fat in them, almost more fat than a hamburger does. So you do have to choose carefully, read the label, see what's in there. You know, the fewer the ingredients, the better. And if you're really just wanting to eat plant-based, you could make yourself a curry in a skillet and Put some beans and tons of vegetables and some sauce, like, you know, its own kind of gravy or tomato sauce and put that on a baked potato or rice and, and do better than you would be with a veggie burger. Thank you. Thank you, Leonard. And I think we've t- may- maybe time for one more, Bob. Hello. Hey, Nick. Yeah, uh, Nick. Yeah. Okay, hey, Bob, do. can I ask a question um, after the, after this last person as well? We we don't know if there's time or not. Go on okay. where the person is. Okay, uh, next up is Nora. Hi. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. And we no raise my hand to let you know it. Even though I'm not diabetic, but I only weigh 79 pounds, 78, 79, because of my extra small stature and my height and everything, my weight. Anyway, I have what you call high cholesterol and high potassium, and I want to get those lower, and and I eat a lot of processed food because I can good, because I have severe trouble chewing, and and that makes it hard for me, because if I had mm-hmm. no trouble chewing, I would be able to have more, definitely mm-hmm. more fresh food and fruits and everything, but I'm just wondering what you think I should do about, because of my chewing problem, how to deal with turning away from processed foods. 
Well, you know, you could still be cooking things at home, steaming vegetables until they're very soft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you just use, a, like, let's say fresh broccoli, you're not going to get all the sodium and everything from, you know, the processed version of it. But I, even those steamable pouches that you can put in the microwave of vegetables, you know, oh. cook it a little bit more, cook it longer until they're soft for you. Or another yeah. good idea is smoothies where you yeah. can put in, you're, you sound like you're very slight in stature and body weight and you probably need some protein. The protein requirements for older adults is actually higher than you might think because wow. our, our, our muscles are shrinking as we all age. That's just part of aging. So yeah. we're supposed to. Hmm? Oh, okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So we're supposed to be eating more protein. So time. Um, doing smoothies okay. with protein powder. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for all those who asked questions. Well, I think we, our program has ended. This is Peter Altschul. I don't know what happened to Bob, Bob Branco, but thank you, Audrey, for joining us. I really appreciate the information you've given. Lots to think about. And. Thank you all. For uh, I am here. I just wanted to mention thank you for everybody for your participation. And next week, Peter's going to be our, our guest talking about riding elephants. He'll explain all about that next week. <laughs> thank you, Peter. And thank you, Steve, for being our host for today. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much, Audrey. Sure. We'll have you back again soon. Take care, everybody. Go safe with God's abundant blessings.